I'm Kate. I'm Callie. We're two friends who met in an early modern history MA. Welcome to the Six Queens podcast, where queenship reigns supreme. six queens we are going into the big issue at the very heart of our whole show the thing that kicks off pretty much all of the rest of the wives the king's great matter aka henry VIII's divorce from catherine of aragon and we're doing it through the lens of henry's actual divorce court at the blackfriars in 1529 this one's a biggie, and it, I'm surprised we've waited so long for a series two, episode two, for us to get to this. But like you said, it is it is a it is a big one, and it is worth worth a little chat. And also, we're not alone this week. We have someone else joining us. The divorce court at the Blackfriars was attended by Cardinal Lorenzo Campeggio, who was uh, from the Vatican. He was a representative of the Pope. And Henry's whole thing that he had to do was convince this guy, Cardinal Campeggio, to convince the Pope to give Henry a divorce. So we thought in that spirit, we would invite our own Cardinal Campeggio to come hear our case. His name is not Lorenzo, though. His name is Brian. Ciao, Bellas. Happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so welcome to the Blackfriars Court, Brian. We are we are glad that you are here to um, listen to how truly spectacularly bizarre this whole episode of history is. I can't wait to hear and put my judgment skills to use. I'm pretty good. I've been developing them over quite a few years. Perfect. <laughs> So just for, uh, for a bit of scene setting and a little bit of context, um, last week we were talking about the Reformation and how that literally turned Europe and England in, in different ways on their heads. And I think this this matter literally is the start of England's enter into, uh, entrance rather into the Reformation. So with, with the Blackfriars Court and with Henry's, quote, great matter, um, it is often div- uh, um, described as his divorce court or his divorce from Catherine of Aragon. Now, it sounds like a really petty point to make, but it's also quite an important point to make. It's not to do with a divorce because that would suggest a breakdown of the marriage and a breakdown of the institution of marriage. What Henry was seeking was something completely different. He was seeking an annulment of the marriage, which would basically mean that it never actually existed to begin with, which for someone like Catherine, um, a very proud Catholic woman, was a complete insult. And I think what makes this instance in history even more interesting than it's just Henry throwing his toys out the pram and seeking to, to annul his marriage is that there's so much more going on that factors in. It's not just him in England shouting at Wolsey to, to get it done, but there's so much kind of international um, involvement and mess that it's just, it's something quite unique. Yeah, at the time, it was ridiculously hard to get this done. That's why there is a whole big court dedicated to it. You couldn't get what we would call a divorce or what they would call an annulment without the Pope's consent. You needed a special papal dispensation to end your marriage. And 
Henry knew that he had to make the case really strong because the only way that Henry and Catherine got married in the first place was through a papal dispensation. Plus, it had been 20 years since that happened and the marriage had produced several children, although not all of them lived. So he knew it was an uphill battle. Usually if an annulment was granted, it was because a marriage wasn't consummated or maybe um, a marriage broke down due to some legal issues. Like it was never after 20 years, I just want to get rid of my wife. Like that is pretty unprecedented, especially for royalty. So yeah, Henry knew that he had an uphill battle, but Wolsey, Cardinal Wolsey, who was his right-hand man at the time, was given permission by the Pope in 1528 to investigate the cause. So, like, gather as much information as you can, build this case. And then they invited uh, Cardinal Campeggio to England that same year to hear him out and see if this was actually worth the Pope's attention. So that is why we are here today, to see if this is even worth granting. As someone repping for Catherine, I'm going to say no. We're, we're not even going to get into what's actually going on because <laughs> I'm going to be repping Henry's side first. And I'm going to be walking you through basically his case for divorce. And this is this is the first time a lot of people are actually hearing it. Like there have been whispers of Henry's intentions for a while. And I think Catherine of Aragon especially knew that Henry's eye was wandering and it was a lot more serious this time. It wasn't just sex. It was something much bigger. But this is the first time that it's all actually kind of laid out for everybody to see. So that's what I'm going to take you through. Get ready for some uh, bending over backwards of mental gymnastics. <laughs> Are you ready, Cardinal Campeggio? I'm strapping my seatbelt down. I'm ready for this ride. <laughs> all right. So here's how I'm going to start my case. The year is 1501. Catherine of Aragon, a Spanish princess, has just come to England to marry not Henry, but his older brother, Prince Arthur. Prince Arthur is the heir to the throne, and his parents have arranged this marriage for him to ally England and Spain. Everybody loves Catherine. She's beautiful. Uh, They're both 15 years old, so they're a beautiful young couple. And after their wedding, there is a betting ceremony, which means that the young couple are ceremonially undressed. So they're in their underwear, basically. They're in their nightgown shifts. And they are put to bed where they will finish the marriage sacrament by consummating the marriage. We know this happened. We know there was a betting ceremony and the couple were left alone. And the next morning, apparently, Arthur confirmed that they had done the thing and they were married and the sacrament had officially been performed. Um, At the time, a marriage was not full, complete, unless you actually had sex. That was sort of the, the thing that really sealed the deal. So according to not only Prince Arthur, but the chroniclers of the time, Catherine of Aragon was the wife of Prince Arthur fully and completely. Are we, we're good, right? Mm-hmm. Sounds convincing. Sounds convincing to me. They did the dirty and she's his now. Seems business as usual. See, so here's where it gets, it gets interesting. Arthur died in 1502, a year after the marriage. And Catherine was interested in getting married again, obviously, because she's only 16 years old. 
And she's interested in getting married to Arthur's younger brother, Henry, because even though Arthur had died, there's no reason that the alliance has to die either, right? So the Pope gave Henry and Catherine a dispensation, allowing them to get married, because according to scripture, it is not great that a man should marry his brother's wife. It's seen as unclean. It's seen as a weird form of incest, sort of. But the Pope said, you know what? Catherine said that the marriage was not consummated. She said that she was not fully Arthur's wife. So the Pope gave them a dispensation and said, it's okay. Catherine had no carnal knowledge of Arthur, so it's not weird. But actually, we're sort of starting to think that she might have not been telling the truth about that. Because Henry, my client, has started to go through scripture, and he's found some things that are a little suspicious. For one, in Leviticus 18.16, a book of the Bible, it's written that thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy brother's wife. It is thy brother's nakedness. This is what we said before, right? That uh, you shouldn't marry your brother's wife because it's kind of gross. Mm-hmm. I'm getting the heebie-jeebies just thinking about it. Right, as as well you should. But here's the thing. Like, the Pope said that that was okay because Catherine did not actually have carnal knowledge of Arthur, so it's fine. And Henry and Catherine have been married now for 20 years, and it's been all right. Except that none of their children, save two, survived their birthday, and only one of those children has actually survived infancy, the Princess Mary. So why, then, is God punishing this couple by killing their children? There must be something wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So that takes us to Leviticus 20.21, 20, which is basically a long list um, in the Bible of sexual transgressions. And one of them is that you should not lay with your brother's wife. Quote, if a man shall take his brother's wife, it is an unclean thing. They shall be childless. I know it well. Let me tell you that Bible, I know it like the back of my hand and you're completely correct. That's definitely God's way of punishing them. Right. Right there. I see it. It's happening it's in, in real time. It is in black and white that they shall be childless. And I mean, having a daughter is basically the same as being childless, right? For like, real. I mean, what's the point? Right. I mean, I'm going to interject here and just say, nay, nay, my friends. Mary, You'll have your time. Mary. Let me have mine. <laughs> If it says there in black and white that the couple shall be childless, it seems to me that Catherine must have been lying and that she must have actually consummated the marriage with Arthur. And that is why the king is now being punished, having no male children. I am more inclined to believe Arthur's um, account of the story. I feel like he's more believable than this Spanish woman just showing up. Yeah. His word over hers. He should know whether or not he he did it, right? Like, makes sense to me. Take that. I wouldn't know because I'm a holy man, but um, I would imagine that we wouldn't we wouldn't confuse that. You know, starts to seem kind of suspicious. I just want to object on the grounds of slander to my client. You can't slander if it's written in the Bible that this is a bad thing. And really, what I would like to know is, does the Pope have the authority to grant a dispensation when it neglects? scripture like if it says right there in the bible that this is a bad thing does the pope actually have the authority to say 
no, it is not a bad thing. So that is why I would like to see the Pope correct his mistake now and annul the king's marriage. Here, here. My Lord Cardinal, do you have any questions for me before we hear the defense? <laughs> um, I feel like that was a pretty well laid out claim. I think um, you put the story pretty straight that Catherine is a no good dirty lady and she she bumped nasties with the prince and it says right there in the Bible that Henry should have never had her to begin with. So um, I think your case is pretty well laid out that it's the word of God. So we must obey it. We don't mean this to slander the queen, of course, oh, because yeah. because even if she was mistakenly granted the title of queen all those years ago, she is still the Dowager Princess of Wales. She still has a position of high respect in this court. So this isn't to say that anything is necessarily her fault. It could have been She's a simple-minded woman. She had and she couldn't control herself. I think we all know that it is for the good of the realm that the king be allowed to remarry to secure the future of his dynasty. Interesting. What I'm going to do, my friend, is I'm just going to tell tell you my um, own little story. So, yes, you're absolutely right. In 1504, Julius II did grant Henry and Catherine a dispensation to be wed. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not one to argue with the Pope or his knowledge on scripture, because who are we to God's representative on earth, you know, it's his place to interpret the Bible and the will of God. So I don't know what you think you're playing at, but um, just think you need to simmer down a little bit. Papa knows best. It's true. Uh, exactly. I just also would like to return to um, your point about Leviticus. As I mentioned earlier, Mary was still very much alive and kicking. As I mentioned again, no, wasn't ideal. We would have preferred a son. But you know what? God loves a trier. And Catherine's given it her best. She's, she's you know, had many... Uh, Many a miscarriage, sadly, and many um, a failed pregnancy. But we're not going to blame all of that on her. Nay, nay, my friends, because Mary is alive. She is well. Probably more than the Bible. It's a very impassioned, heartfelt plea from the Queen herself. And I just feel like Mr. Campeggio, Cardinal Campeggio, is going to tug on your heartstrings. I am very sentimental. I would love to hear this impassioned speech. Sir, I beseech you, for all the love that have been between us, and for the love of God, let me have the, uh, let me have justice. Take of me some pity and compassion, for I am a poor woman and a stranger born out of your uh, dominion. I have here no assured friend and much less impartial counsel. I just feel like, you know, in Catherine's moment of loneliness and humiliation and embarrassment, the very least we could do is take pity on her and treat her with kindness and compassion and treat her with the loyalty and love that she's shown Henry for the last 20 years. I will give it to her. She has been very kind and loyal. She's a strong woman. And I can imagine it's very hard to go to a new country where um, they might speak a different language. So maybe she's just confused in all of this. She didn't know she was doing anything wrong because she's an <laughs> outsider. Interesting. I'm sure Charles V, her nephew and Holy Roman Emperor, would have much to say about this. I'm sure the Holy Roman Emperor would agree with the king that uh, we, we can't go against scripture, though, even when it might be hurtful to those involved. This is a very simple, straightforward conundrum that can easily be solved with one papal dispensation. That's, that's all we need. 
it, it was solved with one papal, simple papal dispensation in 1504. That's the only one we need. And I just feel like it's going to create less paperwork for everybody else. I'm sure the Pope doesn't want to see England fall into civil war either. Like, a woman has never effectively ruled England. However intelligent and bright the Princess Mary is, I don't think we can put a lot of uh, eggs in that basket. I think it'll just go into chaos if we allow that to happen. And the only way that we can protect the dynasty and protect England from civil war is to go through with this thing. Listen, God loves love. <laughs> so um, we love this beautiful marriage, but God also loves peace. So um, we don't want to cause any problems internationally. So, you know, this is a conundrum. This is real. I'm going to have to pray hard on this one. in the 21st century how do you think it went down like how do you think Campeggio responded to all of this I don't think Henry has necessarily a strong leg to stand on I mean they've been married for 20 years and not being able to have a child is not really grounds for divorce I guess but also I could see how the idea of incest might be a little taboo and that could be grounds for divorce that um it's your brother's wife well the joke's kind of on all of us because um the court went from may 1529 to july 1529 when they when they broke for a summer recess but they never reconvened so there was never actually any decision Ooh, plot twist didn't see that one coming (laughs) So this was all sort of allowed to um, fester and and grow out of control without any clear, decisive decision. Because you are right, I think even people then knew that Henry didn't really have a lot of leg to stand on. He had been married for 20 years. The, the union had produced children. They didn't necessarily live, but they were born. And public opinion was very much with Catherine. I think most people saw this as just Henry trying to get rid of his old wife in favor of a young, hot wife. So, yeah, it. Uh, most people, I think, sided with, with Catherine in this. Yeah, and I think the thing with Catherine, especially at this point, is that she's still very much the queen of the people, and she still very much has everybody's hearts and minds. I don't think Anne was ever going to win that one, or, or Anne and Henry weren't ever going to win that one without um, a fight. We're going back now to the point where it had pretty much never been done before on this scale. Like, like I said, like annulments happened for, you know, legitimate reasons to them. But this just this case was not a typical case. And especially when it concerned the royal family and a couple that had been politically matched and they'd been married for 20 years. I mean, as we sort of alluded to, this wasn't just a Henry problem. You brought in the Holy Roman Empire because Catherine was associated with them. You brought in Spain. um, You brought in all of the Catholic courts. You brought in the Vatican. So it was unprecedented in how political it was not just that divorce was a taboo. I mean, it it was, but it was also now this giant problem and it just kept escalating 
there was there's been a couple of instances where an annulment was allowed for um mainly sort of dynastic reasons but as you said never on the scale and usually the outgoing wife would be sent off to a nunnery Catherine made it very clear she was never going to do that there's an instance which I really love where um, a delegation of nobles, including um, Charles Brandon, was sent to go and secure the divorce, uh, the annulment from Catherine. And then when they returned back to Henry, they ultimately had to have their ha- heads in their hands and say, we weren't able to do it because she has to answer to a higher power. And they said, he said, oh, who's that then? The Pope. And he, uh, the Charles Brandon has to turn around and say, no, sir, her conscience. I think it's, a, it's an often asked question in the... Tudor history community and whether you believe Catherine or not because so much of this debate hinges on whether or not she actually had sex with Arthur Um, and she says no but the traditional story says yes and like that was Henry's big debate was like well they had a betting ceremony and witnesses heard Arthur like you know boast about being in bed with her the next morning But it really comes down to whether or not Catherine is telling the truth as the person in the room who would know. And she said it was because Arthur was um, sickly. Like he he died a year later and he um, he wasn't feeling up to it, basically. And they barely knew each other. So they thought they would save it for later, I guess. But whether or not she was telling the truth, maybe she just said that so that she could marry Henry and, you know, remain in the position to be queen. I don't know. I go back and forth because it's sort of it's counterproductive to even wonder because we'll never know. But she swore so many times that she was telling the truth. And as such a devout woman, I have a hard time believing that she would make those oaths lightly. Within normal rules of dispensation, I think there's something along the lines of the impediment of public honesty. You, you have to said yes, like we did, we we did the deed or things like that. But Catherine's defense to that was that oh no, it was implicitly removed from this ball. So when you've got lines like that, you know, saying oh no, don't worry, that that was removed because it's not there. Like we don't have to worry about it. You can kind of see where people are getting that idea from. But at the same time, I just think it's such a flimsy basis for, again, someone so religious that who has such strong religious convictions. I mean, even for the 16th century, she's I'm inclined to believe her. But as you say, it is a bit counterproductive. Yeah. Grasping is really the key word here, isn't it? Because like Henry went along with it at the time. And from all accounts, he was really um, in love with Catherine, whether, you know, her personality or the idea of the alliance or both. It doesn't matter. He, they were they were very firmly um, partnered in that way. So all of this argument is very sort of piecemeal, retroactive. When Henry has figured out that Catherine uh, can no longer bear children, and his hopes of producing a legitimate male heir are over, he can either set up Mary to be his heir, which is not unprecedented but it has never worked before or he can find a way to get rid of Catherine and sire a male heir with a new wife and when Anne Boleyn comes into the picture and says that's a really great idea and I could totally do that for you suddenly this whole divorce thing becomes much more attractive this is so juicy they should make like a tv show or something about all of this (laughs) you should pitch one there's never been one before (laughs) <laughs> I'm into it. I like it. <laughs> what I also really like about this is just how quickly Henry Henry abandons all his principles, all his beliefs, 
Mr. Few years previous defender of the faith. Sorry, what now? No, that's no longer a convenient title for me. Turn everything on its head just so I can get what I want. Well, I what mean, this court really symbolizes is the turning point for Henry when he yeah. figures out that it won't be able to be done in the clean, conventional way that he originally was trying for. Like, this was Wolsey trying to appease him by saying, like, oh, don't worry, we can find a way to get this done. The Pope is a good guy. I'm sure we can convince him. Look, he sent this cardinal here. Like, it'll be easy. It'll be great. But it wasn't. And, um, you know, as you said before, the the international politics, the fact that um, Rome and the Pope were literally under siege by the Holy Roman Empire at the time influenced the decision, let's say. And suddenly Henry knew that it wouldn't be so black and white. So this is the point when Thomas Cromwell kind of sidles up to the situation and says, hey, what if we didn't even have to go through Rome at all? And Henry's like, actually, that's there's an idea. There is one person, I, apart from Catherine, that I feel incredibly fo- sorry for in this situation, and it is Wolsey. The fact he was willing to go to so, like, to such extreme lengths is a testament to, I think, firstly, his ego and how highly he thought of himself, but also his creative problem solving. <laughs> I think it's only fair to call it that. I love that. <laughs> It definitely is creative problem solving because this is so unprecedented that he was clearly making it up as he went along. Oh, like this, yeah, this idea of like, oh, okay, so we're going to invite this cardinal here and he's going to make the decision and send it back to the Pope. I mean, like, it makes no sense. And you can tell it's just Wolsey trying new things and buying time to see what what he can do but the the nail in the coffin is that um rome was under siege when this court was happening and there was no way in hell that the holy roman emperor was going to allow his aunt the queen of england to be cast aside and thrown into a nunnery that was not an option no so i don't know i just this is one of those instances in the early great matter where you can see everybody really just kind of making it up as they go and I mean even though the scripture that Henry quoted like he people had to go find it it wasn't like he was reading one day and it occurred to him people had to go find it to build the case so there's camp like Wolsey like basically right into Campeggio on the side like if you could just do this one thing for me that'd be great maybe don't appeal it to the Pope and um, we can all go from there, really. So, um, hey, thanks, bye. Yeah, and Campeggio actually plays along into that because um, I think it was either right before or right after Christmas 1528, New Year 1529, he actually tells Catherine, maybe you should go to a convent. Like, maybe that would just be easier for everybody. And when she completely shuts him down, he's like, oh, crap, this isn't going to be an easy favor, is it? Like, I'm actually going to have to sit through this court now. It's going to be awful. I don't know how Wolsey didn't have a breakdown and wasn't just rocking backwards and forwards under his desk. I think I I would have been like, no, I'm done. Well, and ultimately the person who lost was Wolsey because in not securing a divorce for Henry, Henry got mad. And at this point, he's already being influenced by the Boleyns who are getting mad and they just want to see some action. So Henry is persuaded to... um, drive Wolsey out. He loses his position, um, his political position. He uh, flees to Yorkshire for a while to, to get out of Henry's sight. And then ultimately he is arrested. He he dies en route to the tower, but he almost certainly would have been put on trial and found guilty and executed for 
not performing this task, which is almost unfathomably difficult to perform. Of course, we know, though, that the divorce is ultimately successful when we completely circumvent the Pope and we start our own church. We can do whatever we want. And the basically the first thing that Henry does, the thing that the entire Church of England is still based around is Henry is the supreme leader of the church and he can marry whomever he wants, whenever he wants. And it makes sense, you know, if uh, if you have to go through a, quote, foreign power to get what you want, you just eliminate that foreign power and now you can have anything you want. Yeah, I, th- I think for as much as I love Catherine of Aragon, and I do, I bloody love her. I think hers and Henry, uh, Henry's reign would have gone down much the same way as Henry VII. For the most part, you know, um, being viewed as fairly unremarkable and fairly mundane and just ordinary this this is the kickstart what makes the tudors appear fun and salacious and interesting and this is uh you know everyone's picking camps this really comes down to henry being stuck between two women his wife and i say mistress understanding (laughs) that she probably was not having sex with him at the time but mistress where people now suddenly have to choose. Are you going to be loyal to the queen or are you going to sort of agree with Henry that the country needs a male heir and he should probably get a new wife in order to give us one? Um, it's Most people, of course, are persuaded to go with the latter side and they, they follow Henry. Sort of understanding that Anne is more of a phase than anything and maybe she maybe she will give him a male heir and all of our problems will be solved. But a lot of people stay loyal to Catherine and that's what creates the tension that stays with Henry for the rest of his reign and certainly leads into his children's reigns. Definitely. What what type, like, what, where are you two falling? Where, where would you be team Catherine or Henry? Like, if I was there? Yeah. Uh, I think I would, as a woman, out at that time, I would probably have sided with Catherine, just because, as we've said, the argument does seem very loose. Um, you know, you've been married to this woman for 20 years, and now you want a divorce? Like, I, I think most women of the time, not just the noble women, but even, like, the common women, especially in London, um, they saw through the argument. They They knew Henry just wanted a new wife. And even if it was supposedly for the good of the realm, he wanted to get rid of his older wife. Um, I, I, I tend to think I would have, I would have seen that, and so been on on Catherine's side. And you know, let's let's try a let's try a female ruler. I, you know, why not? Let's get Mary on the throne. It'll be fun. It works out so well. <laughs> Brian, what about you? Um, I agree with Kate, where I feel like I probably would have sided with the queen. Um, I mean, she demonstrated that she was able to have children. So just because she didn't have one right then and there doesn't mean you can't keep trying. Eventually, maybe she would have had one. And also, like I said earlier, and Kate said, and you've been saying this whole time, it's been 20 years, you're going to decide now that you don't want it. It seems a little brash, I guess. And I think I would have been more sympathetic towards the queen herself. Take a hike, Henry. That's what I would have said. <laughs> what about you? Whose side are you on? Oh, I same same as you two. I think, which is a bit boring. Sorry, everybody. Um, but well, no, so, I feel like by definition on this podcast, we cannot be on Henry's side. No, we cannot. No. <laughs> also, I really want to put your your freezing on a mug, Brian, of take a hike, Henry. <laughs> I'm here for it. No, I I'm I'm with Catherine. You know, 
more more than anything just for her like fierceness and bravery that she kind of sh- sh- like showed in everything that she did and everything she faced with anything Henry threw at her she was like I'm not leaving you know even as her situation um became more and more desperate and you know on her deathbed maintaining the fact that she was the one true queen of England I don't think any of us could say that she didn't go down fighting um even there there are people I think who still feel like they have to take sides between Catherine and Anne like it's still the 16th century but I think um even the people who quote take Anne's side in this can't deny that you you have to admire Catherine for sticking to her guns and calling this out for for what it was it's it's retroactively it's very very easy to tell just how manufactured this whole thing was and um i think at the time even catherine got that um and i think the blackfriars court was really the first time that was put to the test and the public got to see how shaky it was it wasn't just sort of henry uh freaking out about this to woolsey behind the scenes it was on full display here for the first time and says a lot that it never actually came to anything the court fair play to people like cromwell and woolsey and everybody else involved on the legal side because they've got to pay the bills somehow yeah, well, and they have to stay alive somehow. Exactly. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Six Queens podcast. Next episode, Kate and Callie will discuss the ins and outs of the new Church of England. In the meantime, you can follow them on Twitter and Instagram and leave a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Long live the Queens.